All right. Good morning, church family. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see our guests. If you're a guest, we want to, on behalf of our church, I want to extend a warm welcome to everybody. But we do believe that God speaks to us through His Word, and uh, this is a sacred time to hear His Word out of Mark chapter 3. Uh, we'll be back out of Mark. We took a couple weeks off for a guest preacher, but also uh, we're, we just conclude our third John series. But we'll be out of Mark again. And the topic is Jesus Christ. The name of the title, title of the sermon is, Who Do You Say That Jesus Is? So as you're sitting there, who do you say that Jesus is? The conversation started normally, and we just started talking and started getting caught up on family and new adventures that were going on in our lives as I got to visit with an old friend. And it was nice. We're just talking, and the time went by. An hour and a half was gone already, and now close to two hours. Then the conversation shifted to Jesus, as it often did in our conversations. Because we've been talking about Jesus for many years, for many years. And the, my friend would say, I live as Jesus teaches. I believe in his teachings. I know what he teaches, and this is how I live. I live a good life. You know, I'm doing fine. Thank you. I just don't believe as you believe. And I don't believe as you want me to believe in him. But I believe in his teachings. Can you relate to this encounter? Perhaps this is what you have said to friends to have talked to you about Jesus Christ. You know, I, I believe in Jesus. He's a good teacher. I, and he, I follow his morals. I think it's a great example, perhaps the greatest example to ever live. And I know what he says in the Bible, and I try to live by that. Or perhaps you've been on my side of it, where you're trying to talk to a family or friend about Jesus Christ, and this is a response you get. This is a common thing that I've experienced, and I know many of us have experienced this as well. And as I think about this portion of Scripture out of Mark chapter 3, I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis, and as I go through the commentaries, as I studied Mark chapter 3, a lot of commentators brought up C.S. Lewis several times as well. And this is a portion of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity that I want to read. Perhaps it's familiar to many of us, but and this will help frame the context of our sermon today out of Mark chapter 3, verse 20 to 35. C.S. Lewis writes, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the silly thing that people often say about him, talking about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we mustn't say, C.S. Lewis writes. A man who has who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said wouldn't be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic or on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg. Or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is a son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him. You can kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But don't let us come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He hasn't left that, op that open to us. He didn't intend to. 
Jesus is the most controversial figure in the history of this world, of all time. The most controversial figure of all time. It's not over what he did necessarily. It's not over his miracles. It's not over his acts of compassion or his acts of mercy or even the morality that he represented. It was over what he said, right? It's what he said that got him in trouble in the first century, but also today. It is what he said about himself which divides our opinions about who he is. He is the most polarizing figure in all of human history. And so, what did he say? Even in the book of Mark, just in this short uh, gospel, in the first three chapters, he claimed to be the eternal ruler. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. He claimed to be able to forgive sins. He even claimed to be the creator of the universe, claiming to be the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the God that rested after speaking everything into existence. So he's either God, as C.S. Lewis says, or a crazy man, a liar, a satanic liar or lunatic. He's crazy or he's demon-possessed. Those are the three options today. And we're going to see these three views of Jesus Christ today at a Mark chapter 3. And the question that I'm going to keep asking is this. This is really the main thing. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? And this is a critical uh, uh, conclusion because your final conclusion will determine your eternal destiny. Okay, so let's read out of Mark chapter 3. Let's rise, and if you're a guest, we rise to honor God's word. This is why we do this. We believe that God's word is literally the holy word of God. God Mark chapter 3, verse 20 through 35. I'll be reading out of the NASB version. If you have a Bible, please turn there. If not, the verses will be on the screen. Mark chapter 3, verse 20. God's word says this. And he came home and the crowd gathered again so to such an extent that the, they couldn't even eat a meal. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him. For they were saying, he has lost his senses. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he's possessed by Beelzebul. And he cast out the demons by the ruler of the demons. And he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. How can sin cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. But he is finished. But but no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Verse 28, truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven, the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. Verse 35, Whoever does the will of God, 
He is my brother and sister and mother. We pray with me. Father, thank you for your holy and precious word. As was prayed earlier, I pray that your spirit will preach to our hearts so that we will know Jesus Christ more, so we will love him more. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Who do you say that Jesus is? Here's a view. Jesus was a senseless lunatic. Senseless lunatic. I'm just taking it out of the Bible. Verse 20 says this. And he came home and the crowd gathered again. Home, Capernaum. He was traveling around, he and his disciples. Now Capernaum becomes his home base. Home, perhaps even Peter's house, where he healed Peter's mother. And there was a crowd that was grown, a huge following. As we know, as it says in verse 20, he couldn't even have a meal. There's no time to even get a morsel. So many people are around. So many people are crowding the house. So many people are knocking on the door, waiting to be able to see Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus' popularity was high. He was very popular. However, a particular group of people were feeling uncomfortable with this. And who's, who's this group of people? Verse 21 says this. When his own people heard of this. Who is when his own people heard of this? In the original language, this could literally mean his family, relatives, kinsmen, or just friends. But looking at verse 31 here, then his mother and his brothers arrived. I believe this is talking about his family specifically. And they come from Nazareth, which was a small, obscure town in the first century. It is still small to this day, but it was smaller back then. Obscure. And I thought to myself, why would they come and try to take custody of him? Custody meaning trying to apprehend him, seize him. Mark would use this word, custody, to talk about when Jesus was arrested or John the Baptist was arrested. They're trying to take custody of him and get him out of there. Why were they feeling this way? Wouldn't they be proud as family members? Wow, our brother, our son is famous Right? I mean, he's making a name for himself. Wouldn't they be happy? He's going to put our family and our, our little village on the map. You know, after all, when some gymnast or somebody wins a gold medal, that, that everyone from that town celebrates and say, man, he or she's from our town. I mean, this is, wouldn't they respond that way? Well, this just seems kind of odd to me. So as I dug deeper, I, th- I understood a little bit more why that they were feeling very uncomfortable. As verse 22 says, he is put, verse 21 says, excuse me, they went out to take custody of him for or because they were saying he has lost his senses. The ESV says he's out of his mind. He's crazy. Family members were saying, Jesus, you're going crazy. You're the one that's saying that you can forgive sins. You're the one that calling yourself the Lord of the Sabbath? Wait a minute, you're just our big brother. I know you're perfect, and you've, been, you've never picked on us, but there's no way you're the Lord of the Sabbath. He claims to be God. His own family members were thinking this. So his relatives, his family members thought he was a senseless lunatic. Senseless lunatic. And, and why did they take want to take custody of him. I mean, verse 31, I wrestled with his, his mother and his brothers. Mary was there. I mean, isn't this the Mary that we 
the mother of Jesus, who the angel Gabriel came and, and prophesied to her that you will bear the Son of the Most High? Mary. This is Mary, who we respect, who we honor. Who, angel Gabriel said, your son will reign forever, similar to what Isaiah chapter 9 claimed, prophesied 700 years before his arrival. She believed all this. I believe she believed all this, but her faith was still in process. All right? She's still in process. And I think as I thought about it, and as I dove deep into Mary's shoes and, and, and kind of sat in, how would a mother feel about her son, just like any mother in here would feel about your children being harmed? Mark chapter 3, verse 6 says this, because of what Jesus was claiming, the Lord of the Sabbath, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, I could forgive sins, the Pharisees and Herodians were seeking to destroy him. Mary's faith was there, it was still forming, Yet she didn't want her son to be killed. Makes perfect sense. As a son, you're being a little bit overzealous here. Let's kind of pump the brakes a little bit. I'm getting word that you're upsetting the religious rulers. Hold on now, son. Hold on. And even his brothers, verse 31, his brothers were there and... His bro- the brothers perhaps had a little bit more struggle in their faith. John 7, 5 says they did not believe in him, straight up. And they're coming thinking, perhaps, brother, you got to stop talking like this. You're making our whole village look bad. You're making us look bad. You can't do this. And maybe you're wondering, where's Joseph in all of this, right? As, as he, verse 31 says his mother and his brothers. Joseph was perhaps gone by this time. After Luke 2, I believe, he's never mentioned, particularly in the early narratives, he's mentioned, but at some point he's never mentioned ever again. And so Mary's there with with their brothers who didn't believe. And and as I thought about it, how can you not believe, brothers? I mean, wasn't he perfect? You know, didn't you live with him? Didn't Didn't you even hear about the miracles? The way I came out, here's an illustration. I, I thought about this. Walt Elias Disney, okay? We know him as the, uh, as for Disneyland and all these other things, and perhaps he'd be rolling in his grave if he knew what Disneyland was all about today. But Walt Disney, uh, Elias Disney, he experienced failure after failure. His first studio went bankrupt. Mickey Mouse was rejected. Okay, believe it or not, Mickey Mouse himself was rejected by the big companies. Even, even when Snow White was done, it was doomed to failure by critics. It says even his animators, uh, animation staff criticized him. So in that time when Walt Elias Disney was trying to become Walt Disney as we know him, no one could necessarily have predicted how it could have turned out. It's, my point is it's easy to look back 2,000 years later. We have the whole Bible. We've seen how Jesus has changed the world. And look at the brother and say, how come you guys didn't get it? Right? I mean, this is where the brothers were still under process of learning who Jesus was. Even Mary's faith was not crystallized yet. So were they right? Church, guests, as you come here and listen to this, was Jesus the crazy man? Is he the guy at the gas station where you're getting gas and there's someone coming to you, talking to himself, claiming to be God? Was that Jesus was Jesus the one that you, that needs to be put in a straitjacket and put in a, in a facility to protect himself? Was that Jesus Christ? 
That's a view. That's a view. And that's what his family said. You are senseless. You have lost your mind. That's a view. Who do you say Jesus is? Here's another view. As we transition to verse 22 here. Another view was that he was a satanic liar. Okay, and let me just read to you out of verse 22. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem. Who are the scribes? The scribes are the religious rulers of the day. They were the experts of the Old Testament. They were the Jewish experts. And it says they came down from Jerusalem. They came from the capital of Judaism where the temple was. And they came down. They traveled north to uh, Galilee, but they came down uh, uh, from elevation, but also just from the spiritual prestige of Jerusalem. This is where the scribes resided. They came down to see what is going on here. And what, what was their concern? If, if, the, if the family was concerned over Jesus' well-being and their reputation, perhaps, what was their concern? It was over, the power was the issue here. Power's issue, and the Pharisees are described. They saw Jesus' miracles. They seen him heal the sick. Countless people were being healed. All of northern Israel was getting healed. He cleansed the leper. He healed the paralytic. That was perhaps in that house that he's at right now. He restored the man with a crippled hand in the synagogue on the Sabbath. He cast out many demons. They, they knew these things. But not only that, as Mark 1, 22 says... They experienced his teaching. He taught, Jesus Christ taught with authority. He taught with authority. What does that mean? That means that he was, Jesus was challenged to their teaching. Jesus challenged their religious system. In essence, he, he challenged their authority. It goes back to what Jesus says that makes him so controversial. Right? Even with the family, but now with the scribes. And so what is their conclusion after seeing all these things, hearing all these things? Well, verse 22 says this. He is possessed by Beelzebul. Who is Beelzebul? And he casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. Beelzebul is the ruler of the demons. It's the devil. The scribes are saying, Jesus, you're a satanic liar. You're possessed by Satan himself, the evil one. Now how does Jesus respond? Is Jesus possessed by Satan well, this is his response out of verse 23, verses 23 to 27. Jesus takes apart this accusation and claims nonsense. He answers with uh, parables. And in essence, the big idea is, is this is illogical. Why was Satan ever sabotaged Satan, right? Any kingdom or any house that's divided is not going to stand, even Abraham Lincoln used this and quoted Jesus when he's talking about how the union needs to be together. All right? We understand this. Any nation that's divided is going to crumble. Any church families that's divided is going to fall apart eventually. Unity. There's no reason why uh, Satan will sabotage himself. Right? That's, this is basically what he's saying in these verses. But verse 27, he says, But... He sets the record straight. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. Jesus says, I come to do the opposite. I didn't, I didn't come to help Satan. I come to destroy Satan. I've come to bind him up, render him useless so that I could free the captives, set the captives free. He's saying, I come actually do the opposite of that. 
I'm coming to bind up the strong man so that he will have less control of this world so that, so that his people, people could be freed up. This is why Jesus came. And then he issues a warning. I believe in love. I believe in love for the scribes and even for some of us today. Verse 28 to, to 30, he, he issues out a huge, scary warning. He says this, Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. Praise God. But, verse 29, but, here's the warning, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. What is this, blaspheming the Holy Spirit? I mean, we all should be wondering, okay, what is this about? This is a stark warning. I thought this is about forgiveness of sins. Now Jesus is saying, this is the one sin that you cannot be forgiven from. We should all understand this, right? Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10 give us a lot of clues what this means, you know. And Hebrews 6, to paraphrase, talks about, the writer talks about once You've been enlightened and tasted the goodness of God. You've tasted the Holy Spirit. You've tasted the good word of God. And you understand the gospel and you fall away. It says that it's impossible to renew them. Hebrews 10 talks about if you go on sinning willfully. If you're sinning willfully after receiving the gospel, you understand the gospel. You've basically trampled underfoot, trampled underfoot the Son of God. You've regarded his blood as unclean. You disrespected God's own blood and you've insulted the spirit of grace. So what does this look like? Well, here, here's a quote that may help as an illustration. Charles Spurgeon famously wrote and said, the same sun which melts wax hardens the clay and the same gospel which, may, which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sin. Let me read that again. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sin. Now keep in mind now the context of what Jesus is saying. This, he's not just talking to the widow, uh, 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 any widow on the street or, or, or the woman at the well. He's not talking about the demon-possessed man. He's talking to the scribes. And understand the context. The scribes had a front row seat to Jesus Christ. They had all the information. They were the experts of the Old Testament. They witnessed the miracles and the healings, as I said. They had firsthand teachings of Jesus Christ. But what was their conclusion? What was their conclusion? They had all the evidence to say, yes, you are the Messiah. As Isaiah 9, which they would have known, says, nah, you're satanic. I mean, that's an outright denial. You have all that information. He's, he's not addressing the ignorant person. He's addressing the one that should know and has all the information to know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Savior. Nah, you're working for the devil. That's just outright hardness of heart. And really, it's a warning for us churchgoers today. He's talking to the scribes, the religious people. This is a warning to the religious people of the day. I mean, perhaps you've been taught God's word. You've been sitting under expositional preaching. You understand the gospel, right? You've been blessed by many spirit-filled Christians. You've experienced the love of many Christians. 
You've seen changed lives. Maybe your own family members have been changed. But you're still indifferent towards Jesus Christ. Like, yeah, I've heard this before. Yeah, I know I'm sinning, but it's okay. There's a warning there. You willfully keep sinning. You willfully are indifferent towards Christ. There's a warning there. Now, pastor, have I reached that point of no return? Well, let me say this. The fact that if you're wondering that, no, you haven't. Because the person who's far gone, who's blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and their heart is so hard, they're not even worried about that. If the fact that you're like, man, Lord, can I repent? Yes, you can repent. Okay, and nor should you necessarily offer that judgment to somebody. All right, this is Jesus making a point. The offer of salvation is there, and then they will reveal if they've crossed that line or not by how they respond. So if you're wondering, man, I don't know, did I cross that line? You haven't, okay? You haven't. Because a person in this condition won't even be thinking that, pondering that issue. So is Jesus God as he claimed? All right, this is the issue still. Or is he the devil of hell? Is he the father of lies who's been desiring to deceive billions of people for 2,000 years? Is this the Jesus that we're talking about? Is this the Jesus that you know? Giving false hope to countless people. So we've all been the greatest of fools, that Paul says, if we believe in Jesus as a liar. Do you see that Jesus is a satanic liar? That's the second option, the second view. Now let's finish up with a third view here. Who do you say that Jesus is? The third view is that he is sovereign Lord. He is a sovereign Lord. He's God himself. Verse 31, 32, his mother and brothers show up and they want to get to Jesus through the crowd. And the word gets to Jesus. And I could imagine Jesus sitting in Peter's living room, perhaps, and just crowded, you know, just this crowd. I'm not even sure if the hole in the roof is still fixed or not. You know, I mean, it's, he may have like a moon deck there now. You can see upstairs. I'm not quite sure. But he's there, and there's packed with people. And then someone wiggles through the crowd. Get out of my way. Get out of my way. I got to get word to Jesus. Hey, by the way, Jesus, your mother and brother are outside looking for you. Well, I don't know, a natural response would be, all right, like, all right, guys, push pause, push time out. Let me answer this phone call, you know, in meetings. Hold on, uh, uh, someone's called, my, my daughter's calling, I got to take this call. No, no, he goes, what does his response go? Well, verse 33 says, answering them, he said, who are my mother and my brothers? Who's my family members? I know my blood relatives are out there, but who's actually in my family? This is a big deal because in Middle Eastern culture, similar to many of our culture, family is important. Prioritizing family is critical. And so for him to ask, who are my mother and my brothers? He's redefining his loyalties to everybody. And as you sit there, perhaps you come from a great family. You've experienced great family, or perhaps no family, perhaps dysfunctional family, or somewhere in between. Right? Maybe that's your experience of family. But Jesus right now is redefining what family is all about. In verse 34, he goes looking around at those who are around him. A lot of people. He couldn't even eat, the Bible says. He said, Behold, my mother 
and my brothers. Behold, my mother and my brothers. Look what Dr. Tanis talked about this yesterday in our conference, in our Behold Our God conference. He said, family, nuclear family, blood family is very important, but God's family lasts forever, right? In heaven, we, we'll know each other, but we're not necessarily going to identify the family groups at that point. We're, we're God's family, right? This is what, part of what Dr. Tanis talked about yesterday. And it says right here, Verse 35, for whoever, who's in this family, even amidst this crowd, but for whoever, for whoever, that means no matter where you're from, no matter what your story is, no matter you're rich or poor, man or woman, no matter if you grew up in a Christian home, didn't grow up in a Christian home, no matter what nation you're from, no matter what scars you're holding, no matter if you have high uh, prestige or low prestige society, societal-wise, it doesn't matter. Whoever, that's it, any man, woman, and child, does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Who's in God's family? Whoever obeys Jesus Christ as sovereign Lord. Now, we know obedience or doing things doesn't save us, but that absolutely reveals who Jesus is to you. It's the fruit. Jesus is Lord, perhaps, could be your identity, our identity as Christians. Therefore, we obey Jesus. That's what Christians do. Now, right here in this room or this house, it says there was a crowd. There was a crowd, and there's a crowd today. There's a crowd. I'm grateful for opportunity to preach to our church family. We have guests here as well. Do you say that Jesus is the sovereign Lord? Do you believe that Jesus is God? When we ask you, who do you say Jesus is? Do you believe that he's God? Is he the sovereign Lord? Is he the sovereign Lord? Is he the savior of the world? Is he the one to, that could take away your sins? Who has taken away your sins? Is he the creator of the universe who spoke everything into existence and rested on the seventh day? Is that him? Is he the one that's calling you to be adopted into his family today? Mark 3.28 is, is a powerful portion of scripture. It says, truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men. Do you believe that Jesus Christ offers this forgiveness is, is, he the, is he your God? Well, if so, Mark 1.15 says, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. What does that mean, pastor? The gospel simply means good news. And how I'm going to break this down, I really would like us to understand this for your own salvation, but also for your sanctification and how to minister the gospel to others. It's got four Components, I'm trying to break it down under four headings. God, man, Christ, and response. God, man, Christ, and response. And it begins with God, first of all. Do you believe that God is the holy creator? Do you believe that God is the righteous judge who will judge every single soul upon death and upon his appearing? Do you believe that God is the standard for righteousness? Meaning, he sets the standard of what's holy and what's right. Not us, not man. 
not our opinions. Do you believe that God, this holy God, is at odds with every single unforgiven sinner? Do you believe this? This is what the Bible says. It starts with God. Man, now let's look at ourselves. Let's look at ourselves. Do you believe that we are all sinners? What's a sin? If you're a guest, sin is basically not meeting God's standard. You've offended God. You thought one wrong thing one time. Matter of fact, the Bible says we're born into sin, okay? That's what the issue of man is. And God requires perfection to be with him. Meaning, if we're not perfectly holy like him, we can't be with him. We will never be with him. We will never be with God. And the Bible says that all sinners, and by the way, the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All sinners will be judged to eternal hell apart from Jesus Christ, apart from God himself. Do you believe this? God is holy, man is sinful. Thirdly, Christ, motivated by love, God the Father sent his one and only son to this planet, planet Earth, who was born of a virgin on the first Christmas morning. And he took on human flesh. Jesus lived the perfect life, the life that you and I clearly cannot live, myself included. And he died as a perfect sacrifice. Do you believe this, that Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for your sins? Do you believe this? Children, listen up. Do you believe this? Is more important than your work? This is more important than schoolwork? This is your eternity that your pastor is talking about. This is what your parents are praying for, that you will know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Parents, this is what your children are praying for you, that you will give your life to Jesus Christ as, their, as your Lord and Savior. Do you believe that Jesus Christ took the penalty for your sins and he offers his righteousness, his perfection to you? Do you believe this? That you have been, you can be justified. What does justified mean? Just if I have lived Jesus' perfect life. God will treat you just as if you have lived Jesus' perfect life. If you trust in Christ. Do you believe that Jesus lives again? This is why we celebrate Easter, guests. This is why we have Easter every year. To celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we believe that Jesus Christ is coming back. He is coming back to settle accounts. This is happening day by day, closer and closer, every day. And the free offer of salvation to you right now. Now, if you already believe Christ as your Lord and Savior, amen, praise God. But now for the response here. God is holy, man is sinful, Jesus Christ saves. Fourth, the response. If you believe that Jesus is God, the sovereign Lord, do the most natural thing then. Obey him. Obey him, right? This is the most natural thing. If Jesus is God, the most natural thing is to obey him. Worship him and obey him. Jesus says, repent and give your life turn. What does it mean to repent? Turn away from living for, for sin and for yourself and turn to Jesus. Live for Jesus Christ. Give your life to Jesus Christ today. This is what the Bible talks about, repenting. Believe that Jesus is the Lord of all for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll be brought into the family of God. I mean, this is the good news. Not only do we get saved, we get saved into God's family forever. As God is our Father and 
one another as brothers and sisters. It's amazing. And I want to conclude with this here. When the world calls you senseless, it's going to happen, either directly, social media-wise, or just subtly. When the world calls you senseless, backwards, unsophisticated, uneducated, ignorant, what's wrong with you guys? You believe that old book? And we know better today. We, we, have, we know so much more today. You're weak. You're unwise. I mean, the world will call you senseless in different terms, perhaps. Or when the world calls you evil. They may not call you satanic, but they'll call you evil. You're unloving. I thought you should be accepting everyone. You're, you're, you're a bigot. You're bigoted. You're judgmental. You're unaccepting. You're so narrow-minded. You're so arrogant. How could you claim to know the truth and everyone else is wrong? You'll be called these things. Take comfort, church. Take comfort because Jesus Christ completely understands how you feel. He went through it here in Mark chapter 3. His own family, the, the, the religious elite, called him satanic. He completely understands what you're going through and what you're going to go through. And not only that, he calls your brother and sister. He said, you are in my family. Take comfort, church. So who do you say that Jesus is? Senseless lunatic? Satanic liar deceiving all of the world? Or is he a sovereign Lord? Jesus Christ, praise be to God, is Lord. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to uh, preach Mark chapter 3. Thank you, Father, for your great love for your church. Thank you, Father, that you love us like you like you love the Son. Thank you, Father, that you proved to us how much you love us by sending your one and only Son to die for our sins. Thank you, Father, that through your Son, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we can be adopted into your forever family. Father, I pray for those who are not in the family that you will call them for today. That they will believe Jesus, your son, is the sovereign Lord. They will repent or turn away from their sins and cry out to you for forgiveness. I pray they will do this, Lord. I pray your spirit will prick their hearts, open their eyes, give them the ability to hear so they can respond, Lord. Father, I pray for encouragement for the church. I pray, Father, that the brotherhood and sisterhood are encouraged, knowing that you understand every hurt, every accusation. You understand this more than any of us, and you understand what we're going through. Lord Jesus, thank you that you call us family. You call us your brother, your sister, Lord. Thank you. Only because you're of blood. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we will be encouraged as a people to love your son even more. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.